actually joined today live in the studio by Jordan Gravestein, who works for Coravin, but also Man About Town. How are you, Jordan? Oh, I'm very well. Happy Sunday. Happy Christmas. Ab- yeah, oh, absolutely. And um, yeah. so are you, where are you from originally? You are not. Are you born? You weren't born in Melbourne, were you? I was born and raised in Brisbane, so Queenslander Aye. through and through. Queenslander. Um, oh, that's me. it. That's it. I'm, I'm coming live from Gold Coast, Jordan. <laughs> oh, so beautiful. I'll be up there on Monday. Me. Well, there you oh, go. well, lucky you. Good. <laughs> Are you having a little Christmas holiday up there? or what's Yeah, it's, I don't know how little it is. I'm actually up there for three weeks. So <laughs> going back, seeing <laughs> nice. the family we're between uh, the Sunshine Coast and the Gold Coast. So yeah, can't right. wait because we haven't had summer Beautiful. yet. No, summer hasn't really hit here, has it? It's like 18 <laughs> degrees outside. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's a nice day. Well, it seemed like a nice day when I got up this morning. We're going to hit uh, 25 today, aren't we, mate? That's oh, wow, from Melbourne. That's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, but normally at this time of the year, Jill, it's like 40. That's the thing. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You get gets, some pretty hot like, days. We get these really warm. So 2009, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't know where you guys were in 09, but 09 here was like, it wasn't quite like 08 in Adelaide, but it was, it never got, if there was a week where it, it was over 40 every day and it never got under wow. 30. Mm. Wow. So, and so this 25 stuff, this just makes no sense to us at all. Didn't you have some seriously hot days like two weeks ago? No, nah, not really. No, we nope. had one day of 31. But it's uh, so oh, okay. it's like oh, we're, we're making light of the weather situation, <laughs> but it's like people who are growing grapes out there in vineyards, and it's one, one thing I wanted to ask Fran about as well, but, you know, one of the major hassles they're having is just getting tractors in and out of the vineyard. Yeah. Yeah. And they're getting bogged because mm. it's been so bloody wet. Now, I mean, I saw... Sam Kurtz, who we'll get on to at some point, he's got a brand called Red Art Rojamomo, but he he put some bunches of grapes up on Instagram today. So in those parts with like big, deep alluvial soils and rich volcanic soils in the Barossa, he's got bunches of Shiraz that are like A4 size. Jeez. And then on the hard sort of <laughs> rock soils, you know, up in certain other spots, they're like proper bunches. So it's like... Yeah, you get. It's going to be a really difficult season, I think, for everybody. That's, yeah. Are you a bit of a? You know, you're a. You are a man about town, and you know what I'm talking about. You, you've got. You associate with people that drink some pretty good wine, right? And, yeah. and I know who they are too. Um, is it all about balance for you? Have you got a favourite style that you like drinking? Um, is it something that you just kind of go with the flow? When it comes to wine, I like to say I don't discriminate. So, okay. so come one, come all, and and I think like everyone else that loves wine, it's all about learning. So yeah. Um, you can drink some really, really amazing wines, but if it's something you've had a few times before, I'd be more interested in trying something crazy from somewhere, somewhere else. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, no, just I love the learning side of it. I suppose. Have you have you started your own little collection? Do you have a little cellar or? So I mean, if we take a step back, so we first met each other when I still worked in real estate. Correct. Um, so going back to you know being in Brisbane and all the rest of it. I, I made the move down to Melbourne in 2017. To, to work in real estate, right? To work in real estate, yeah. yeah. When I when I took a step back and, and was living in Brisbane my whole life, my big passions in life was food, footy, wine, coffee, and obviously working in real estate, sort of going from Brisbane to Melbourne was a step up into the big leagues kind right. of thing. okay. Um, but, you know, COVID happens and all the rest of it, um, yeah. and you get a chance to go, well, you know, do I really want to be still selling real estate? Um, but back in those real estate days, I'd say I had a much bigger seller and right. collection. Well, then the, the question begs, but you were born in Brisbane? Yes. How come you're a Carlton supporter? What's, what the, what's going on? Um, that's <laughs> my had to come to at some point. <laughs> Sorry, Jill. I was, I, was <laughs> telling, <laughs> that's okay. I was telling this story last night over, over a glass of wine, actually, but right. um, my, my heritage is, is um, out of Amsterdam. Right. And my grandfather came out yeah. and um, was working in a factory in Collingwood. 
and didn't speak a lick of English. Yep. But they'd all disappear on a Friday afternoon and go somewhere, and he goes, "Well, we better follow them, see where they're going." And they were going to the you know Vicky Park or yeah. um, to the MCG to watch the Pies play. Yeah, right. So naturally, my grandfather becomes a Collingwood fan. And my dad is a bit of a arsehole. <laughs> and, <laughs> okay, then. And, and Merry and Christmas, Dad. And if, no, no, no. He he he'd appreciate this. <laughs> right. And he's yeah. like, well, if the old man's Collingwood, I'm gonna uh, be yeah, Carlson. yeah, yeah. Just just to be yeah, correct. A counterpoint. Yeah. No, I totally understand that. That's yeah. awesome. So the patriarch of the family is Collingwood, <laughs> and the rest of us, every other Gravestein is a, uh, a Carlton, Carlton fan. fan. Um, now, so we did take a step back there into real estate, but how did you get into working for the business of Coravin and tell us or Caravan? Tell us a little bit about what that contraption is and why it's so cool. Yeah, so how I got into it um, was, yeah, like like we said, I'd been in real estate for sort of 10 years and I loved the people side of it. I loved meeting people, networking, um, the negotiating uh, side of things. But I was starting to tire a little bit of, you know, going into houses in Port Melbourne and Albert Park and they'd be saying that, you know, this marvels from Calcutta and Italy and all the rest of it. And yeah. it's kind of like, I don't care. Um, <laughs> And so time had been done in real estate and, and I, I really wanted to make sure that the next thing that I did was something I was super, super passionate in and, and obviously I love love wine. Um, I would have applied for 45, maybe maybe 50 jobs in the wow. wine industry this, back yeah. in back in 2020 and had zero experience. Like, yeah. I knew people like yourself and, and, and had drunk a lot of, of good wine but yeah. had zero experience in the actual business. Um, and again, probably revealing a little bit more than I should, but Coravin was the only one that said, you know, we'll have a chat with you. Yeah, cool. Um, and it was probably the the business that I least wanted to work for. <laughs> well, that's revealing too much. Okay, can, 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 <laughs> no, oh, hang on. No, actually, because I'm going to ask why. Well, well, what, there would have been a very good reason. Yeah, yeah. this is it. And, and it's probably the thing that, that we hear the most is that Coravin's, you know, just not necessary. Like who opens a bottle and doesn't finish it? Um you know, I thought they mm. were they were you know too expensive, and yep. you know every time I'd been to a, a really nice restaurant, the son would be fumbling over the Coravin, or they'd run out of gas, and it was just this thing that hadn't really been mm. implemented very well into the market, I suppose. Yeah, but mm. they were the only ones that said, you know, we'll have a chat with you. So fast forward, you go through the process, interviews left, right, and center. Oh, they suck. And um, they send you a big box of Coravins, and you got to start playing with them and learning how they work. Yeah. And really quickly, I, I found out that, no, this is a pretty amazing uh, piece of technology and fell in love with the brand and, and love, you know, preaching the gospel of Coravin, you know, everywhere so you go. So basically what you, what you saw was an opportunity to actually make the brand better by implementing the, the technical part of it, you know, because as you say, people will waste a lot of gas with it. There's like some technical big mm. things. So just explain to our listeners, we've got Jordan Gravestein from Coravin here. Or Cor- What's the correct way to say it? <laughs> Coravan. I, I, call it, I call it Coravin because, you know, we're Australian. Yeah. A lot of people do put a little bit of a French twang on it and go Coravan. Mm, right. Just, well, let's call it Coravin. Uh, <laughs> Jordan, explain to our listeners exactly what the – go. let's go back to the original Coravin sure. and, and how it works and what, what you use it for. So to go to go right back to the beginning, Greg Lambrecht is the inventor of, of Coravin and – he actually is in the medical devices industry. So right he on. invents medical devices, particularly the needles that are used in spine surgery. Wow. Amazing. Wow. Yeah, he's an incredibly smart human being. Yeah. Um, he and his wife would, you know, typically have a bottle of wine on a Friday, Saturday, you know, things like that. But as his wife got pregnant, she stopped drinking. Um, and, of course, you and open a, 
yeah. op- open a bottle on a Wednesday, it doesn't taste the same by Saturday kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was wasting a lot of very, very good wine. And so being the inventor and the inquisitive mind that he is, um, thought maybe I can do something with the needles at work and create this device that's, that's so going to cool. pull the wine out without having to pull the cork. Yeah. Um, it's and amazing. It took him a fair while, but um, through the use of argon gas, the needles that were being used in, in spine surgery, um, he's been able to make sort of the prototype and uh, the, the business has just evolved from there and we've got so many different products now. That That's, that's an, incredible. That's awesome, yeah, isn't I it? I did too? not know that. I yeah. did not know that backpacks story of it and that's, um, it actually kind of makes sense. That is amazing. Well, yeah. necessity is the mother of invention. Why, why argon, Jordan? Why are we using that? An inert gas, uh, essentially. So it, when you look at a brand new bottle of wine before it's been opened, typically the space between the wine and the cap is either going to be nitrogen or argon. And so essentially we're just pulling the wine out and replacing the liquid with the gas that's already in the bottle. Um, and it, it essentially protects the wine from oxygen. Yeah, heavier than air, sits on, uh, lets the wine stay nice and fresh. What sort of uh, time frame, you know, I've got my, you know, 1990 Grange that I'm pulling <laughs> out, and but it turns out I'm the only one drinking it on Christmas. So hey, I'm going to swing around. Okay. <laughs> oh, come on. Let's, let's be honest. That <laughs> bottle is not going to be empty. All right. So I'm pulling out my 97 Grange, which is a, ba- a tough vintage, uh, and or a 2000 Grange, and it's only me that wants to drink it. So when I s- extract my first glass, you know, so I've got about, what, 600 mils left in the bottle. Um, how, what's the kind of time frame we're talking about how long you can keep it? For. Depending on which carbon you're using, yeah. you should be able to come back to that Grange in four, five, six, seven years. Um, wow. We're, we're still, as wow. a company, only about 10 years old. And yeah. so we're still testing bottles um, over that journey. There's so many different little factors that come into, into play, but of if course. it's used perfectly with yep. the right equipment, um, there's no reason that bottle should ever expire. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff, Jill. Do yeah. you have do you have one of these contraptions? Look, I don't. I don't, and um, there's no reason why. I, actually, there's a very good reason. I, I I am one of those classic people where there isn't anything left in the bottle. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm not pregnant anymore. Um, well, the other so... thing is though that, that people often say, "Well, hang on a second. There's a needle going through cork." Most of the wine I buy is under screw cap. But, of course, these, okay, well, these people have thought of this. How, how do you get around that, Jordan? Yeah, so there is a proprietary screw cap that um, uses a special kind of technology in silicon and different layers um, that ostensibly means that you can use your needle and punch through the uh, screw cap. Because you do have to open the closure and you know a, a tiny amount of oxygen gets into the, into the bottle, yeah. the mm-hmm. preservation does come back to a couple of months, probably sort of three to four months thereabouts. Yeah. Um, but that, that's why cork is so good because it's a natural sort of sponge. It, yes. it puffs back out. Yeah. And, and That's right. So whatever there. hole you're putting through, just when you pull it out. Um, how does it go with the DMs? Does it, is it, does it get through those, no problem? Yeah, the D, no, it, the DM is a, is a challenge um, for us at the moment, definitely. Yeah. Um, but we do have three different needles. Um, so you can have your device and you can have three different gauges of needle. Yeah. Um, for the DRM, all we recommend is using the finest needle because obviously with the glue content in the DRM, it doesn't puff back out. Yeah. Um, so we've got a super fine needle, which we call the vintage needle, um, and, and we'd suggest that for, for the DRM cork. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? There's there's other closures too. So, I mean, you've got um, Laurent Ponceau using those uh, Noma corks and things like that. So I imagine... Yeah, well, it'd be constantly presenting challenges for your business to try and find ways through all these innovations in terms of closures. Yeah. So but I guess if you're only ten years old, though, so you've got uh, you've got decades ahead of you of discovering all the ways to to get there. 
But uh, sorry, uh, can I just quickly ask, are there any wines or there any scenarios that you actually wouldn't use it apart from wines that don't deserve it, <laughs> being the, the obvious one? Where, where wouldn't you use it? Yeah, good question. I haven't been asked that one. No, before. that is that's um, a tough question. I, I, I couldn't think of like it, I suppose it comes down to the reasons why. And and there's coravin for yourself drinking at home, and there's coravin in a commercial sense in a restaurant. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. And things like that. I suppose I I would encourage people not to use it on say super old Burgundy if it's not gonna mm. in a restaurant setting if you don't have complete control over it, so yeah. to speak. Cause sure. That the makes risk, sense. Yeah. The risk can get high. And and mm -hmm. I think it's great for wineries that have a lot of old vintage stock under cork somewhere and they've got some, yeah. you know, wine critic they want to impress. Well, just get the Coravin out and find the best bottle you can. And yeah. I, I don't yeah. think – I mean that because what we're really trying to do always is show the wine in its best capacity, right? And that's yep. that's essentially what this tool is giving us the opportunity to do. Now, we've, we're going to keep Jordan. He's going to hang around for our next guest, Gabriella Rush, joining us here in Melbourne as well. Morning, Gabs. <laughs> Merry great. Christmas. We're great to have you back on. Now, listen, we were just talking about Vinoshis because Jordan um, hangs out there a little bit and it's Yuri oh. and um, Jasmine. What, Jasmine. And Jasmine, yeah. Uh, so you, you do a few shifts up there. Tell us about that, Gabs. I conversation about Coravin before as well. I was just like, oh, my God, I need to ask Jordan any tips <laughs> on um, the small talk you have to make as you're pouring because oh. there is that really <laughs> little pausing conversation as like you, you tilt the bottle and you realise it's going to come out a little bit slower than you anticipated <laughs> and you're like, oh, gee, weather again, here we go. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've been, I've been out Finoshi since about um, kind of April and it's just been absolutely wonderful. The guys there, Jazz and Yuri, are just total legends and... You know, they're incredible creative winemakers themselves. The produce that they have on offer um, in the venue is just so exciting. And, I mean, to see, like, I don't know, just somebody from East Ivanhoe crack open a bottle of Radicon and, like, <laughs> and just knock it back with um, a little shakudri plate, it's pretty exciting to see the kind of change in culture of drinking around those parts. So um, I love it. I love it. Yeah, wow. yeah I, I was I was just wandering through and people had been telling me about it and I, I think I mentioned to you I've I was a little bit sick of living in Thornbury, which I'm an old man now, I'm in my forties and it was a bit hectic. <laughs> oh, those young people with their rock and roll music and but anyway, I found this lovely place in Ivanhoe and it's close to work. But everyone was like, why haven't you been to Venoshi's yet? So I walked in and there were three people sitting down. They're all like, hey, Richo. So they're all customers, obviously. Um, yeah. And um, and then I spoke to Yuri and Jazz and they were, yeah, they're just lovely people. But, yeah, the setup's really good. Tell us about some of the cool wines they've got in there. So some of the, the, the funky stuff that they have, I mean, like, I do gravitate a little bit to the more minimal intervention type of stuff. But yeah. when, we were, when we were talking about sparklings earlier and sparkling Shiraz in particular, um, there's a brilliant little... Uh, 2019 vintage um, sparkling Shiraz by Eck. So Emily up in kind of Heathcote, Rutherglen Way. And right. it's just, it's really wonderful to see that people are still like 
that will always still be a cornerstone of Australian drinking, I think. And yeah. uh, we and it should love it. be. Bloody hell. As it should be, exactly. Yeah. As much as it is, yeah, born into it. Okay, sure. Thanks, Xavier, on that one. <laughs> but I think I think it's really it's really lovely that we are still kind of popping those corks on, on wines like that. And I think Emily's done a really wonderful example of something that has those traditional elements, has that like unctuous and lovely luscious, like deep red fruit, but still there's like a fraction of residual there just to brighten it and you also don't see too many hardcore vintage ones i think it's just like so often we're drinking rumble or something like that so Mm -hmm. yeah i'm i'm stoked to see that that's still being ordered Um, so what's it called ek is it ek ek so it's emily's initials and she kind of grew up loving wine and her family was like very much into restaurants and just great sellers and stuff but never actually pursued it herself until after having tried the corporate space right in, i think she moved to to heathkit in like 2017 or something and oh that's a new totally forward. new thing then yeah so, yeah gab can i just ask is this are you saying that this uh ex sparkling shiraz is actually on the menu at this new wine bar Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is so this is my thing. I I do I still to this day get surprised at how few wine lists actually boast a you know a, a sparkling Shiraz. And look, yeah. I, I mean I I also get that you know they might not just be throwing a few extra ones on because it's Christmas time because there's you know for obvious reasons why you don't go missing around too much with wine lists uh, too quickly. But um, I still think as as a very iconic Australian wine that there's that you just don't see them that often. No, you don't. This is where I compliment the kind of um, shift in more minimal intervention drinking styles that because we've had like a lot of like a a resurgence of Lambruscos or all Mm. these pet nats that are often like pinker and deeper and red in colour and they're blends of Mm. different red varietals. I'm surprisingly seeing a little bit of that curiosity stepping into sparkling rosés and Shirazes, etc. So I feel like you know, I, I was always familiar of it because of my parents' influence, but people are coming coming to it on their own accord, and I really love that even something as modern as Vinoshi's is still, like, supporting that, but we can talk about it in this modern style. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it's just people love to also vary their drinking. So we'll go, if, if we're on the sparkling spectrum of, of Christmas time, that they go from something light and then they're stepping into more heavier territory. And then, say, for example, with food, it's very often that, like, yeah, the sparkling Shiraz is, is something that we can offer to accompany mm. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of pet nats before, though, you've you've been making a few pet nats, haven't you? Helping some mates, like, put labels and stuff on that <laughs> no. and just kind of like, oh. <laughs> Um, I, I, I didn't get to make one myself, not yet, but I do have, I think I just need to take out some extreme insurance before I endeavour <laughs> into it. Get the goggles on. But you have made, you have been making some, some wine, haven't you? Tell us a little bit I about made, that. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I um, <laughs> I literally bottled my wine um, Thursday week ago. Yay. And oh, wow. I, it was, oh, I cried four times. I think I was just so completely, like, overwhelmed and in awe. And, you know, as you guys have been talking about just, like, the changes in the the industry, particularly um, in response to global warming, et cetera, I think when you're seeing what's happening out in the vineyards and and how much people and how quickly people are having to pivot. So, say, for example, the floods out in Heathkit or just, like, the whole Riverland stuff, um, it's like we're having to maybe 
step back from organic to try and recover from massive damages and stuff. Like people are just having to make these serious decisions really yeah. quickly. And so mm. I was so thankful that like my little Sangiovese that I picked was like completely unaffected and I could just swan through my first ever year of winemaking, <laughs> not having to worry about any of that. But it does make it really difficult for um, these kind of like gypsy winemakers yeah. for buying fruit next year. Like yeah. where it's, it's, it's becoming really, really challenging. We already knew that um, volumes were down so uh, significantly and it's going to be quite similar to uh, the 2022 vintage. 2023 will be really small vineyards, uh, small um, uh, tonnage. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I learned so much this year in terms of just like how hardcore stepping into your first wine uh, is because yeah. mm. if you're not... If you're not associated with a winery or you haven't got the legacy and um, it is really, really challenging to just kind of do everything for the first time. And, you know, you talk yeah. about Coravan and Corks and uh, deciding what kind of future your wine has in the bottle is, is just like one of the many, many questions that you have to ask yourself. Yeah, there's um, a whole myriad of decisions that you have to make, uh, you know, that affect other things in the the future. And they all happen in this sort of linear way uh, because if you do this, you have to do that and then it changes that and this and that. So that's... And people don't realise this, that like as much as um, winemaking is this wonderful creative pursuit, it's just decision-making. It's going, do we go left or do we go right? Like, and... And I think um, what I've discovered is doing it on my own. It's it's quite challenging. Like I've got nobody else to blame but myself. If it all fills <laughs> up, like bugger. And and so yeah, that creative element of actually collaboration. I think if if people are looking to pursue it and stuff, it's really really important to kind of surround yourself with with some wonderful mentors to be able to. Well, that was the um, next question I was going to ask, Gab. So, so yeah. who's who's helping you? Who's giving you some of this uh, sort of feedback? Who's been a sounding board for you? I um well I made the wine at number seven um uh Hillsville. So um Spike there, um Ryan, he's just like a front and urban winery. Yeah. And so he's been really wonderful. His kind of approach to winemaking um is very he's just totally relaxed. He's like, Stop stressing, do not worry. Me, I'm like nervous energy yeah. just going like, Oh my god, oh my god, is the tap sealed? Like and he's like, Don't worry about it, all come down. And then I also had great mentoring from um Nicole Esdale that she also is a wine consultant around uh, the Yarra Valley and she would just kinda of come in and we'd talk like levels and stuff and she's like, Now I know you don't want to solve for it too much, but yeah. come on, we're gonna do like something that's stable for your first wine, don't give yourself any uh, heart attacks. Yeah, yeah. Yourself so. into a risky element. So, <laughs> and then, like, fortunately enough, this wine industry, people, when you do mention that it is your first time and whatnot, they, they kind of, I'm, I'm so shocked how, like, excited people are for me as well. So, like, I've got some great friends from, like, um, Matt Orlick from Blood Moon Wine yep. and the guys from um, Little Brunswick. They're, like... We, we all sit in this uh, similar culture of just not necessarily owning vineyards, but like working with vineyards and purchasing fruit from little growers and then making them in this um, kind of considered and 
a little bit more of a hands-off um, mentality. So, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Cool. Well, you had one very proud mum in Dan Murphy's last week, which is what prompted me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was a great little child. I haven't seen her for a while. Oh, so, my, my number one cheerleader. Yeah, gosh, so she's a great mom. lady. So, that's exactly um, the way it should be. <laughs> we, we get, yeah, bloody oath. Let's wrap this up a little bit. But So let's go around. So Jordan Gravestein, what, what, what do you think you're going to be drinking on Christmas Day? You got, anything, you got anything locked away, like in your back pocket? Um, I mean, if we're sticking with the sparkling uh, Shiraz theme, yeah. um, I really like Ashton Hills. Yeah, they, right. They, they do oh, yeah. a really, really yeah, yeah. good uh, sparkling Shiraz. I don't think I've ever had. I've had the Pinot Noir, of course. But... There's, 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 there's murmurings around that the fruit comes from Wendery. So oh, murmurings, I like murmurings. <laughs> um, so I'll probably be eyeing that off uh, Chrissy morning with the bacon and egg roll. Yeah, happy days. What about you, Gabs? Are you going to have some egg, or are you going to drink? What are you going to get? A, go in early for your own Sangiovese and just bathe in the glory? Okay, I'm, I'm staring at a magnet. I like cheekily bottled a bunch of magnums just for parties, and uh, so I will have a I'll have a little bit of my own wine. But no, I've actually cheekily got a bottle of La Frere, um, the Blanc de Blanc. Oh, yeah, that's a great wine. Beautiful. Yeah. That's... And, oh, God, Low dose. It's like extra brute too, isn't it? Like two yeah, to three grams per litre or something? Brute. Yep. So I, I know I know it's it's not exactly the pet nat of um, uh, oh, it's pretty, what for, I normally does it need to be. Fruit. For champagne, yeah. though, it's pretty hands-off. It's pretty hands-off. That's true. That's very, very true. But I'm so excited to drink that. Oh, I mean, that's magnificent. Now, where can we get our hands on your wine? And um, more specifically, where can I get my hands on it? But are you going to be selling it at Venoshi's and pouring it there or just, you definitely, know? Definitely, definitely. So I still have to give it a little bit of resting time. Of course, yeah. It's in shock. Yep. Thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it will be released uh, closer to February. So Feb, March is when I will do it. But, uh, yeah, you, you will be able to purchase it through my website. So just buygab.com.au. And then a couple of little indie places like Venoshi's. Uh, so, yeah. So, to give us that website again, what is it? Bygab.com.au. B-Y-G-A-B.com.au. That's Grouse. So I then tell you, sign up to my subscribe list and then I'll flick you an email when it's ready to go. You should so, You should definitely subscribe because, uh, you know, we absolutely love having you on. And uh, let's get you on um, once the wine's released and we can have a little chat about it. Um, you come yeah. into the studio where maybe we can talk about... Oh, my God, we can have a taste. Well, we could do something I, like I was about that. to say, That's I think so we need to get a bottle shipped up to Queensland <laughs> so I can yes. do a taste of this well, I've got family on the Goldie. I've got to do like a, you know, East Coast trip. So. There you go. East Coast style. Handball it up to Jordan. He can take it up next week. (laughs) Um, So thank you so much for joining us uh, live in the studio, Jordan Gravestein. Have a great Christmas, mate. And Gabriella Rush, Gabs, you're a genius, mate. Love you and thank you for coming on. Thanks, guys.